Hi, Healing America listeners. I'm Aaron Cohen, your host. And today, in Good News, Bad News, we talk about a new medical device out of Northwestern University that could be a great new tool in the fight against COVID-19. Plus, we review the early data about pediatric multi-system inflammatory syndrome. That is the first known instance of a COVID-19 complication associated exclusively with children. Healing America will cover so much more than the global pandemic, but for Dr. Robin and the rest of the team at Terrain Health, we feel a real need to translate what we are reading and seeing for our community. As the Terrain Health Practice launches this month, we will start to explain how what we do can keep you safer in the years to come. Terrain Health is a precision individualized medical practice that synthesizes genomics and a multi-interventional approach to optimizing your health. To learn more, subscribe to our newsletter at terrainhealth.org and follow us on social media at Go Terrain Health. Hey, apologize for the audio quality in this episode. It really feels like Verizon Optimum. And frankly, the American telecommunications infrastructure in general is struggling under the load of this pandemic. Thanks for bearing with us and please enjoy Good News, Bad News. So, Dr. Robin, um, first of all, we should just recap our week because this has been a crazy busy week and it's Friday afternoon. Mm -hmm. Um, How's it going with all your patients? (laughs) It's going well. It's tough out there. You know, people are hurting. They're hurting psychologically, you know, mentally, emotionally, physically. So... You know, I have to be a jack of all trades right now to my patients. I have to be yeah, there. You, you, Psychologists, you, or gastroenterologists, they're immunologists, they're you know, <laughs> yeah, everything. You've, you've yeah. said you've said that these sessions, which of course are all remote, tend to kind of drift into all kinds of non gastroenterological areas. Correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's, that's okay. Of, I'm happy to do it. I'm happy to do it. It's one of the things that makes you unique as a physician, too. Um, Thank you. Uh, so uh, this episode uh, is being recorded in a Connecticut that seems to be losing its wireless and mobile phone capability in rapid fashion. So both you and I are having our ups and downs. We're going to try and get through this, but we're hoping everyone will bear with us. And, and this is a good news, bad news episode. And um, we are going to talk about um, something finally decent that we're excited about in terms of innovation, um, just for the first few minutes. And then we are going to talk um, in some detail with what we know here on Friday afternoon uh, about a new pediatric syndrome that's emerging. And unfortunately, uh, a young uh, a young person has died in New York City um, today uh, from COVID related um, symptoms, uh, COVID related illness of some kind. So we're going to get into that. But first, Robin, uh, Doctor Robin, talk about mm-hmm. this amazing wearable device that you discovered because I think it could have real implications for how we can understand how to diagnose uh, COVID nineteen earlier than we've historically done it. Yeah. 
So I just want to, you know, back up by saying, and you sort of touched on it, that it's really amazing, Aaron, how the, the more we learn about COVID-19, the more unknowns that seem to arise, right? So we're finding out each day that passes this new virus affects the effects on us seem to be stranger and stranger. And that's why I think this new wearable device could be really advantageous, you know, from a clinical standpoint to really help us, um, you know, detect the virus at earlier stages and to even detect, you know, when people even have the virus or don't have the virus to detect even unperceived signs and symptoms to the patient that they wouldn't even realize that they're experiencing. So it's actually really fascinating that these researchers out of Northwestern developed this novel wearable device that you're talking about. Is it a watch? Is it a ring? Is it earrings? No. What is it? No. It's a wearable device. It's basically made out of silicone. It's very small. It's wireless. And it literally sits at the at the suprasternal notch where that is, is if you took your hand and went to like, you know, that where, where sort of your clavicles meet that little notch you have, like right where your throat is like indents it right there. It goes right there. That's the best way in layman's terms that I can explain it. And it, yeah, it sits I right clavicle, there. I think clavicles meeting is a good way to think about it. It's yeah. Like where they meet and then right there, that little, little notch. So this device basically, um, they, they, they're saying it will catch early symptoms and signs of COVID-19. And it can also then manage the, the patients throughout the progression of the illness remotely, right? So this is, fi- this is feeling like a vital data gap um, that could also really provide potentially life-saving insight. So it's a 24-7 device that the patients wear. Um, and also they're giving it to the, pa- the, pa- the patients or not the patients or the people that are exposed, that have, have had exposure to these patients, right? So how powerful is that? Like, so the family members and so on and so forth. So the advantage, you know, is not only giving peace of mind to the patients and provider, it, but it's also to giving it to the providers as well. And it will also help uh, with earlier intervention and treatment if possible. So it's, it's also just a great story. So, you know, here's what happened. Some trustees yeah. at Northwestern seeded this project mm-hmm. and allowed this ability lab uh, uh, to collaborate with Northwestern to create this device. And they're cranking them out of, of an, of a Illinois based lab. That's where they're being manufactured and they're already in clinical trials and have proven in a very short amount of time, they repurposed this for COVID. And um, it's a great example of how philanthropy can jumpstart something. And now they're spinning it out as a separate company. And this could be like a really interesting little medical device that um, help, helps us uh, diagnose COVID earlier. And we've talked about this in the past about how we do have an issue with when people get super sick and they don't get interventions in time, that could be one of the reasons that ultimately mm-hmm. they die from this virus. So this is an, an exciting development. And mm-hmm. it's just nice to have some good news about yeah, COVID-19. Because I, mean, mm-hmm. I, I, I know when you shot this over to me, I was like, wow, this is cool. Because to, for me, this was not a great week on the COVID-19 front. No, but this was really fascinating to me. And why I like what I think I thought was so cool about the device is what it what it does is so people can understand because they're like, okay. 
Oh, Dr. Robin, did I lose you? It's no, actually, okay. it's actually, I'm sorry. Yeah. Sorry guys. Technical difficulties. Um, what it's actually doing is where, because of where it's sitting, it can accurately monitor the patient's coughing intensity and the patient's coughing patterns, chest wall movement. So like indicating if the person's having labored or irregular breathing, it can track respiratory sounds, heart rate, and even body temperature, including fever. So, I mean, this is like, you know, pretty hardcore, very cool interventional stuff we're talking about. Um, and the other thing that they're saying could be what it could be great for is um, that, well, there's two other things that it can potentially protect not only the patients, but frontline workers as, um, you know, interventions can be instituted in a much more timely manner to reduce their risk of the, the risk of transmission. Right. And we could even outcomes. think of it as mm -hmm. we could even think of it as PPE, right? I mean, it's just like it's this is how we protect frontline workers, right? By right. Like keep making sure that we're paying as careful attention as we can yeah. to their own symptoms. And what's incredible is this this data is happening in real time. So this yeah. little device is measuring it's sending real time data. It's, it's yeah, in real time. So the, if the you cough, yeah. If you call, like essentially machine learning can be used to determine whether someone is more at risk or right. not, and depending on how they're breathing and how they're coughing and how, and, and how much their chest rises and falls, right? Correct. Dr. Robin? And the, and the, and the machine, they're saying the machine is learn this device is learning too. Like the algorithm keeps, like it's learning more and more. It's like, it's like self-teaching itself, you know, from the more data that comes in. Um, and what I thought was very fascinating too, is that you know, there's a lot of people out there, Aaron, that have milder symptoms, right? So they might think, oh, I have an, I have seasonal allergies, you know what I'm saying? Or I just have like a little cold and then they're told. And then, and so now with this device, you know, it can maybe help us stop the spread because these people that we thought didn't really have COVID have it based on this information and data that's being fed, you know, into this algorithm. And then that way they're self-isolating quicker or more quickly and then that way they're not spreading the disease unknowingly, right? right. So I just think it's very, very cool. You know, so really these are, nice. We, these are the kinds of innovations that mm -hmm. maybe give us a chance to, even as we wait for a vaccine, just mm -hmm. be more cautious and thoughtful about how people move around the country. Now, juxtaposed with this nice piece of news is some, some troubling news that began on Monday with what was... Uh, first announced in the New York Times, a, a number of children, 19 in fact, had been diagnosed with something that I guess today is now being called pediatric multi-system inflammatory syndrome. And uh, it's, it's something that doctors around the world have been tracking. This is not unique to, um, you know, uh, nearly two dozen children. Um, apparently it's been happening in Europe as well. And um, it's a troubling new development. Uh, Dr. Robin, you and I both first read about this on Monday. Um, what did you think right out of the gate? It was troubling because most people are like, oh, I have a kid, you know, there's, a, there's been a lot of studies, you know, you know, uh, you know, you know, based on the children, children's physiology or, you know, and like why they don't, like why they're not as affected um, by this disease. But now we're finding out that 
they can actually be very affected by these post, what we call post-viral um, or post, actually post-auto, post-viral syndromes that, you know, appear to be like sort of like this autoimmune phenomenon that happens in, you know, in general, like post-viral, you know, uh, these post-viral syndromes, these autoimmune type phenomenon that happen are, you know, they occur every day in our lives, like from regular bacterial and viral infections that we get. But now with COVID, this was something, again, strange, right? We learned something new every day and unexpected. And now we're seeing our children, you know, from infants up until, you know, late adolescence being affected with this horrible um, disease process that they're, you know, they're saying it's a similar to Kawasaki disease. And it is, it has a lot of characteristics. So can you tell, can yeah. you tell people what Kawasaki disease is? Yeah, so Kawasaki disease, it's rare in the United States, it's about 20, about 25 per 100,000 kids um, have it. You, it's funny, you know, you realize the, Aaron, the name sounds like Japanese, right? So it's much more common in Japan, like in Japan, it, it, it's 250 out of 100,000. So they see it more, you know, more frequently here. But the illness is basically usually this acute uh, febrile illness. So the, you know, and they're usually just in infants and young children. And the children usually, you know, they'll, they'll um, present with a fever, a rash, sometimes like sort of like peeling skin from this, you know, from this, uh, from the virus. Um, they can also have like a conjunctivitis, like, you know, where their eyes appear very irritated and red. And there can also be other internal organ involvement as well, like the kidneys and so on and so forth. But the biggest hallmark of the disease is that the medium-sized arteries in our body, particularly the coronary arteries, um, become inflamed. They, they have a vasculitis. So there's this inflammation. And as a consequence of that as well, there's a potential for the develop, development of what we call coronary artery aneurysms and then sudden death when that, if that occurs, right? So these, because when you have an aneurysm, right, it's this ballooning of the wall of the vessels and these vessels are crucial, you know, to our life because it's supplying our heart, right? And if we don't have our heart and the vessel, we can't I mean, pump it, the right way. It, it sounds yeah. like a heart attack. It sounds like a form of a heart attack. Well, so, I mean, it's, I mean, it's just through these, yes, I mean, sort of like, it's sort of like the heart can fail because it's not getting right. the blood supply that it needs because of these, you know, aneur or the aneurysms themselves actually can burst, right? So, and then so you, you know... That's so the reason Kawasaki came, Kawasaki disease came up on Monday is yeah. that these students were presented, uh, the students, I'm sorry, these children mm -hmm. were presenting yeah. with um, symptoms that were extremely similar uh, and also include uh, apparently sharp abdominal pain. But I think what's really interesting from a COVID-19 perspective is the, that this uh, new syndrome among children doesn't present with cough and shortness of breath. Which is really yes, kind it's of different the from the adult from the adult right. It's different from the adult presentation. It's a very different and also remember it's it's a post most of these children and, and actually the very you know, they probably can prove it and almost all the children have had antibodies that are positive, you know, for COVID or they tested positive COVID subsequently to being admitted to the hospital. So they had exposures in the home. Most, you know, most of the stories I read about the parents were sick, but even though the kids themselves might've been asymptomatic during that window, you know, that time period where everyone else in the house was sick or they, um, 
they themselves just had like maybe a little mild fever for a few days, you know, nothing. They were not very ill and they were healthy. And most of these kids were are healthy previously. But then a few weeks, like a week later, two weeks later, then they're presenting all of a sudden very, very sick and ill and being admitted to the hospital in the ICU. So uh, up until today, we did not know if this disease, this new syndrome would be fatal. But today, a young a five-year-old New York City resident, I think, um, died. And there's also mm-hmm. been a teenager, a 14-year-old boy in England who's died, according Correct. to a recent study. So um, mm-hmm. look, it goes without saying, these are so few deaths compared to what we've been dealing with over the last few months. But it is troubling. I, I was particularly troubled, well, yeah, um, yeah. Dr. Robin, by the mm-hmm. fact that on Monday we knew of 19 cases in no, New York. No, no, no. On Monday they actually, no, let me correct you. On okay. Monday there was actually 50, around 50 cases in the New York City area, in the New York City area. And okay. now there's up over 70. But still, within like a few days, like we've just, you know, and who knows how many other cases of these bizarre, you know, they, they're talking about all these other children and all, you know, throughout the United States. And now, now that they know about this, right, that have presented with sort of a similar presentation and they didn't know what the kids died of, I mean, or had rather. So now I think the death rate might go higher because now they're going to figure out what these kids actually had. They're going to go back and they're going to find out that it's likely possibly secondary to this, you know, post-viral COVID-19 syndrome. So this, so. so this has some ramifications and I want to just immediately kind of jump to how parents should think about this. Cause it, you know, we've all been comforted by the fact that children seem to do quite well in the COVID era from a health standpoint. So at one level, this is super mm-hmm. nerve wracking. On another level, it's a quite small set of people so far. Um, but nevertheless, parents have to be cautious and thoughtful about how they address these things. So Dr. Robin, you have three children. If one of your kids, you know, had a particularly sharp abdominal pain or, 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 or a rash, how would you handle it? I mean, normally, you know, if they had a rash, fever, abdominal, I mean, the first thing you do is you take your child to the pediatrician. I mean, I try to really separate myself from my family and not be the doctor and let their doctor be their physician. So obviously that would be the first thing, unless the child was very, very ill. I mean, some of these, some of these um, cases that have been written up, like the, the, the child in Louisiana, for example, she's a 12 year old girl and she had horrible fever, vomiting out of no, that came out of nowhere. And then her lips turned blue. I mean, you got to go to the hospital, Aaron, right? right? I mean, that, that's not, you're not taking the kids to the pediatrician. I mean, clearly if they're not that ill and they're presenting with like, you know, some sort of mild fevers, abdominal pain, rash, you know, what, how most typical viruses in children can present, by the way, yeah, you bring them to the pediatrician, but if they have, you know, more life-threatening type um, signs and symptoms, you got to get them to the hospital. I mean, even this other young kid in Long Island who had had a mild fever days and days before, right? Like, and then all of a sudden, all those days later, he literally stopped breathing and his 15-year-old uh, brother gave him CPR, you know, and he, he was, he was vented as soon as he, you know, he's on the vent when he got to the right. uh, ICU, so I mean, got to the hospital and was put in the these ICU. Are, these so. are the horror, these yeah. are the horror stories, obviously, but 
There are a lot of people uh-huh. who've been steering clear of their pediatrician during the COVID-19 epidemic for fear of, you know, just not wanting to be in public environments, even places that are like scrubbing things down. As you know, doctor's offices have been very, very quiet. So yeah, if you're a parent now, if you're a parent now and you read this news and your kid has a fever, I think you got to go to the pediatrician, but I'm curious what you think. Well, I mean, listen, all most, I would say 90% or more of the physicians across the entire country are set up for telehealth. Okay. So get on the, get on the, the, get on a telehealth, a telemedicine um, uh, call or, or actually video with your doctor and the doctor can see the kid, see the mom, you guys can do a history together. And then if the, if the doctor deems it necessary for your to, for you to bring the child in because maybe there is an abdominal campaign component and she really wants he or she really wants to put you know th- their hands on the child and really get a good exam and feel for what's going on of course then you bring your kid in I mean listen all of our offices have protocols built in um, you know masks gloves doctors are gloved everything's being wiped down you know like all you know when patients as soon as patients leave the office so you are, it's pretty safe, you know, it's not like any less safe than going to the grocery store or anything like that. It's probably safer, right? Um, and the doctor's offices are empty. And because they are so empty, it's less reason to be so, you know, concerned. So if you have to go to the doctor, you go to the so doctor. I, I, I think okay? that the important thing is that there's new news as of this week. Some children, very, very few of them, very few of them so far mm-hmm. have appeared to have some vulnerability yeah. related to COVID-19. And as a result of that, parents have to be thoughtful about and cautious, I think, right? About making sure they check in with their pediatrician. That's the number one thing. Absolutely. Check in, be on it, right? That's really what we're saying. And by the way, we should also say people responded really well to the treatment so far as they've come into the hospital there haven't, yeah. there haven't been a lot of fatalities what are those treatments well the most that you know they could do like i think you know the main treatment that they've used for um kawasaki's disease is intravenous immunoglobulin therapy which is what uh, does which that is that mean it's basically um, your immunoglobulins are these little guys that help in your immune response and help protect you from infection and so on and so forth so in this case, it's it's there, we have different immunoglobulins. We have immunoglobulin G, immunoglobulin A, immunoglobulin M. You know, and they all have different little. You know, they're all different. They have they're 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 little soldiers that are part of our immune system. They all help. They all have different jobs. But in this case, this is a purified preparation of gamma globulin. Okay, so the mainstay of treatment normally for um for Kawasaki's has been this IV you know, this IV, inf- IV infusion of, immu- of this immunoglobulin G. And they also would give pa- uh, patients with, with this aspirin as well. Those are usually the mainstays of treatment. And, and they, do, they do really well um, when they present. And I think, you know, from some of the case reports that we've read, Aaron, uh, some of the children that have received this therapy have done very well, which is great. Yeah, thankfully, thankfully. Mm-hmm. Better than, you know, better than some other some other challenges we faced during this pandemic. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. look, we wanted to get the word out there. This stuff is being extremely well covered by the, by the New York Times and, and, and that's where it first broke. And it, it, I think that we've got to, there's gonna be a lot more written about it in the medical trades. As you say, mm-hmm. it's already starting to pop up. 
Um, mm-hmm. Dr. Robin and I have like, I don't know, a 10 article a day moving back and forth. And we're trying to figure <laughs> out more. what to podcast and write mm-hmm. about. Um, but this is one we'll stay on top of because it's a it's very, very early, you know, but as everyone can remember, there were a couple of COVID-19 cases in Washington state only three months ago. And mm-hmm. uh, look where we are now, headed towards 100,000 deaths in the United States, um, you know, a huge number of cases and, um, you know, a long way to go as we go forward. Um, so this has been just a quick, I think you and I are getting excited about the idea of doing quick hitting podcasts with Mm -hmm. the news changing as frequently as it is. And we're going to mix in some other longer form stories about uh, terrain health and what we're up to. But until next time, I'm the patient, Aaron Cohen. (laughs) And I'm the doctor, Dr. Robin. Thanks for joining us. Be well and stay healthy. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. If you are interested in learning more about Terrain Health, please follow us on all the social media outlets, but particularly Instagram and Facebook, where we are at Go Terrain Health, G-O Terrain Health. You should also absolutely subscribe to this podcast uh, because it makes me like particularly happy. And uh, we also have a newsletter that comes out once a week, and you can subscribe to that at terrainhealth.org. Our practice will launch formally this month. Uh, we are seeing some patients right now in certain capacities, so please feel free to email us at info at The content in this podcast is for informational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. You should always seek the advice of your personal physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or use of any supplements or treatments that we talk about in our conversation. Thanks very much. a great doctor. Today, Dr. Robin Rose and I were discussing one of her patients. In her telling of the story, the gut guru reveals how challenging it can be to provide great medical care. Of course, this vignette shines a light on the importance of gut health, but it also demonstrates what can happen when a patient finds the right doctor, a doctor who listens. I'm Aaron Cohen, a patient in my own right, but I'm also the host of Terrain Health's podcast, Healing America. Enjoy the conversation.